Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well, and I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you or your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. Well, I was blessed by that, weren't you? What an encouraging song and motivating song and worshipful song. Thank you, Katie and choir and Jay. That was wonderful. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 17 to verse 18, the last two verses of the book. Cole reminded me that he was not yet here with us on staff when we began 1 Peter some 61 weeks ago. And um, that's not a testimony to my thoroughness. That's just a testimony to the fullness of the Word of God. But when, whenever I finish preaching through a Bible book, it is sometimes a little bit emotional because to me, it is like I am saying goodbye to an old friend, in this case, a friend who has stayed in my house with me for over a year, 61 weeks. That's okay with Peter because he's with the Lord and we have his book, but uh, that's not okay with some other people, amen. <laughs> but he, he's been with us a long time and we're saying goodbye to Peter. And it's like that I walk him to his car and load his luggage and embrace him and thank him for blessing me and staying with us and encouraging us. And he takes off. And I go into the guest room where he stayed and then there's a big old package addressed to, to me and you and First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs. And we open up that big package and it's what he has left us that will last for the rest of our lives. What he has left us that will endure forever and never fail. All his instruction, all the inspired words he wrote. And so today when we're done, we will see Peter taken off, but he has certainly left us some wonderful things. I want to read the last few sentences that Peter spoke. These are the last words of the Apostle Peter recorded in the Word of God. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. A key word in chapter 3 is the word beloved. 
It is a term of endearment, of depth of relationship, great encouragement and warmth that the apostle would call his readers then and now, us today, the beloved. It is found five times in this chapter and it has been the pivot word that we have based our preaching and teaching uh, on in this chapter. It sets off the final instruction, five points of final instruction. You know, there are 194 verbs in 2 Peter. 194 verbs. Only seven of those 194 verbs are imperatives or commands. In other words, in all of 2 Peter... He is only, the Holy Spirit has only commanded us to do seven things. Seven things. You might find that strange. But I would venture to say that most of the New Testament is written that way. There's more participles. Uh, there's more uh, present tense, past tense verbs than there are probably imperatives at least in 2 Peter. And that is because of something we need to understand if we're going to apply the truths we've learned from 1 Peter and 2 Peter over these past weeks. And that is this. The Christian life is more about being than it is doing. You understand that? It's more about being than it is doing. First Peter tells us, you are, you are being bearers of the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ in hard times, in good times, in Peter's case, hard times. Second Peter tells us that we are being truth bearers. We bear the truth of God in hard and difficult times. First Peter says, you are bearers of the, of the testimony for Christ when you are persecuted from the outside. Second Peter tells us, you are bearers of the true doctrine of God, the Word of God, when it is being scoffed at and denied from the inside of the church. So the Christian life is about being more than it is doing. Perhaps you were frustrated in your Christian life because you were trying to do, be a doer, when you are not a beer. And you need to be a bee in Christ before you can be a doer for Christ. 194 verbs, seven imperatives. Very interesting. And five of these imperatives are in chapter 3. There's only two in the other portions of the book. And they go all the way back to chapter 1 where we are commanded to add to our faith with all diligence, virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and charity or love. And we're told to give diligence. There's two imperatives. 
5 or in chapter 3, all centered around that one word, beloved. Beloved, you, that's what you are. You are the beloved. Therefore, do these things. And he, he told us in chapter 3 and verse 8, he says, Beloved, don't be ignorant of God's timing. You remember that? That's where he come back around and said these scoffers are saying, God's not going to come and judge this planet for its sin and people are going to just go on and on like they want to and come what may. And then Peter said, oh, don't be ignorant of this. A, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day to God. In chapter 3 and verse 14, he told us, brethren or beloved, be diligent to be a witness for Christ and how important that is. Chapter 3, verse 15, he says, beloved, take account that the reason Jesus has not come yet is because He wants men to be saved. And He's giving you time to be the witness you should. And He's giving men time to repent, men and women, time to repent. And then He tells us two things in verse 17 and 18, two imperatives. Beloved, beware so you won't fall. And second of all, beloved, be steadfast, <clears throat> excuse me, and grow. And through, through the pen of Peter, the Holy Spirit instructs us in light of all we have learned about bearing truth in trying times. False teachers, scoffers, we've learned an awful lot about them and what awaits them and us at the coming of Christ. And so in these two verses, Peter gives us two last bits of instruction. Two final things that Peter tells us to do, that the Holy Spirit commands us to do. Now, I will tell you that uh, these sum it all up. These are the most important, especially in the days in which we live, these trying times. And so let me give them to you, and that will be our message, and that will close out Peter's presence with us in terms of these books. Number one, we must guard. We must guard. Verse 17, ye therefore beloved, see the beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wickedness fall from your own steadfastness. We are told to beware. That's the imperative. That's the command. Beware. I entitled this message, Beloved, Be Steadfast, because in the second to the last sentence, uh, Peter will write that we need to beware lest we lose our steadfastness, lest we fall down. That's the second to the last sentence that Peter ever wrote. It's a warning to prevent us from falling from our steadfastness. Now, Peter is not concerned with us falling from our salvation. Peter knows that our salvation is secure. He's already told us that we have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and that fades not away. In other words, nothing is going to destroy it immediately, and it's not going to fade away in time. It is undefiled and fades not away, and it is reserved by God in heaven for you. 
Folks, you can't lose your salvation because you did not give it to yourself. And you did not reserve it in heaven for you. You didn't make a phone call to a 1-800 number and talk to some angel to get into a reservation in heaven. You called on the name of the Lord. You called the owner of the hotel. And you were saved, and he has reserved the place in heaven for you. So Peter is not concerned with us falling from our salvation. Paul is never concerned about that. John is never concerned about that. Jesus is never concerned about that. But what Peter is concerned about is us falling away from our steadfastness, from our footing, our strong footing. He's already just talked about, if you remember last week, unstable people. And he warns us about instability that is created by false doctrine and false teaching. And he comes back around and he says, But you, beloved, don't, don't fall into that trap. Beware of that trap. And you keep your steadfastness. He was afraid that the early, these people and us today would fall away into doctrinal error and and effective service and become useless, become castaways. And so steadfastness is an injunction to believers all throughout the New Testament. It's always to be steadfast. I've told you before where the word steadfast comes from, and I like this word. It's an old English word. Our King James uses it often. Steadfast. It comes from the English word, old English word, steadfast. And it refers to the fox hunters in the old country, England. And it pictures a man getting on his horse to run the hounds, and, and the hounds take off on the scent of the fox, and off they go, and the horse begins to go, and he's going over the hills and over the valleys and across the creeks and, and uh, around the bend and through the trees. And then all of a sudden that horse senses that there is a creek too wide to jump and the horse, all of a sudden, the steed stops dead in its tracks and the rider keeps going because he was not steed fast. He was not fast to his steed. Well, I want to tell you, Peter is telling us here, in the days you folks in Ocean Springs live in, there are scoffers, there are false teachers, there's false doctrine, there is corruption at every turn, sin is on the rampage, the devil is having his heyday, he is creeping into the church with shallow, silly, false doctrine to create shallow, silly saints if he can make them saints at all. And if you don't hold fast, you're going to fall off the horse. Amen. And he says, you better stay on the steed and hold fast. That's good. Thank you for that, Peter. Paul, Peter uses this word steadfast in this epistle, in his epistles, twice. He only uses it twice. He tells us to be steadfast way back in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 when he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist 
steadfast in the faith. What's the faith? That's this body of truth contained in the Word of God. Stand fast in it. That's what he says. So when it comes to the devil, he says you have to be steadfast. And then in our text, in our text, he tells us to be steadfast in terms of the Scriptures, in terms of these false doctrines and false and phony teachers coming about. He says, so watch out for Satan and watch out for the scoffers. Beware of them so you can hold on to the horse. It twists and turns and jumps and goes through the creeks and sometimes it stops real quick. Be steadfast. And so we have this command to be on guard so we can be steadfast. How do we guard ourselves? You know, one of the, the things I want, always want to be sensitive to is when we teach the Bible and we say, this is a command, this is something God tells us to do. I always want to be sensitive to the fact that not only do we, know, do we need to know what we need to do, but we need to know how to do it. Do you agree with that? We, if, if, if I just got up here and said, folks, let's be on guard, amen, let's go to the house, the only thing that would accomplish is get you waited on first at the restaurant ahead of the Methodist. Okay? Stan Gartman's here. I mean, so he'd be late anyway. But anyway, that's the only thing it would do. And Peter teaches us that principle we've got to learn how to do. And so this is what he basically tells us in the context. You are on guard by learning, by being a learner of the Word of God, by learning the Word of God. And he gives us three things about learning the Word of God. How do you learn the Word of God? Well, naturally you'd say, well, you study it. Absolutely. But how do you do that? And he gives us three things. Number one, learn the Word of God with the people of God. Learn the Word of God with the people of God. You say, where is that in the text? Look at verse 17. There's one little word. Ye. May be translated you in your Bibles. In this Bible, it's translated, ye therefore. Now, here's something that's really interesting. Um, in the King James translation, and there's other wonderful translations. I'm not, I'm not trying to persuade you either way on translations. But uh, in the King James translation, when you have the um, the and thou's and thy's, thee, thou, and thy. You see that? The King James translators, they didn't talk like that. that that's not how they talked back then. I know they didn't say y'all, but they didn't talk thee, thou, and thine either. Okay? But they knew, the translators knew that the average person would not have the opportunity to study 
the New Testament Greek. And so they said, we're going to put you, and you read that in the King James Version, and we're going to put thee and thou and thine. And so when you read thee, thou, and thine in the King James Version, that means that the Greek is speaking in the singular, talking to one person. Then they also used you, ye, your, we, and us, just like we do. And they said, when you see that in the Bible, because thee is just the singular of you. The you and your is the plural in the Greek New Testament. And so they knew that when the average reader would read the Word of God and they saw that ye... They said, this is how we tell them that it is plural. And so he's writing to a group of people, not an individual. And he's telling them, you need to be steadfast and you need to beware and you need to do it all together. You don't need to be a wandering sheep off somewhere by yourself because there is no defense You need to stay with the flock. And so you learn the Word of God with the people of God. You need a church home, one where the Word of God is taught. You need each other. Now, the false teachers, they were just like uh, the wolves and and the predators. They would find somebody who was lagging behind. They would find somebody who might feel disenfranchised or something or was weak and get them off by themselves and circle around and and finagle around and use trickery to isolate them and then they would attack straggling sheep. But Peter is saying, you guys stay together in the Word of God. Paul said, or the book of Hebrews says it this way, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, especially as you see the day approaching. He said it's valuable. You must have togetherness in the Word of God. This is the church, the local body of Christ that Peter has in mind. So the first thing you do is is you learn the Word of God with the people of God in order to learn the Word of God. We can learn from each other God's Word. And then the second article, the second thing is, learn the Word of God to prepare yourself. The next thing he says is, seeing that you know these things before. Seeing that you know these things before. That's one word in the Greek New Testament, and it's the Greek word prognosis. Do you know what word we get from the Greek word prognosis? Prognosis. See, you're Greek scholars. It means to have knowledge beforehand. It means to to know beforehand. If you go to the doctor and he says you're sick, And you ask him, what's your prognosis? Well, we have wonderful Christian doctors in our church, and I imagine they give a lot of prognosis 
or prognoses, whatever the plural is. And they may say, oh, you do this and do that, you'll be fine in a few days. Or, sorry, it's forever. Or, I don't know. You see, they are able to know, the Greek word gnosis, beforehand, pro, the preposition pro, prognosis. What Peter is saying here is know the truth before you hear the lie. Know the truth before you hear the lie. Know what is right before you hear what is wrong. This is true for temptation. This is true for wisdom and decision-making. It's true for identifying false doctrine. One of the greatest joys of being a pastor is when somebody, one of your members comes to you and says, Preacher, I was listening to so-and-so the other day, and that just doesn't sound right. And then I say, because it wasn't right. And you know what is right. you got prognosis. So you learn the Word of God to prepare yourself. Third, learn the Word of God for protection. Lest ye also be led away with the error of the wicked. Peter mentions, mentions no words when he talks about the scoffers and the false teachers. He just flat out calls them wicked. You know, one thing I've learned about dear old Peter, and he's probably put this in his box in the, in the guest room for us to keep forever. He wasn't real politically correct. He didn't tolerate um, falsehood, especially contradicting the Word of God. He was, a matter of fact, real vicious about it. And um, here he doesn't mince words at all. He says they're wicked. This word translated wicked is only used by Peter, this particular word. It refers to, that, to those who have no restraints. And um, it's translated wicked. And what it is is they break away from the Scriptures. They are the ones who, in verse 15 and 16, they rest, they wrestle and twist the Scriptures around to meet their needs, or they break away from it. You remember last week we talked about in the text how even Peter said some, some of the things that Paul wrote are very hard to understand. You remember that? And we, we talked about how we can understand the Bible easier and more and what it takes to, to, to get a grasp of it and how difficult it is but yet we, we can do it. It's not impossible. Peter said it's hard. He didn't say it was impossible. Well, um, what happens is, is these, these false teachers will take those hard and difficult things and malign them like they want to, but sometimes they break away. And in that message last week, we talked about the canon of Scripture, the list of books that make up the Word of God, the list of books, the 66 books of the Bible. And what happens to a false teacher is they will, they will break away from that list. They break away from the measuring rod of God's Word and get off on their own. And Peter here is telling us, you've got to protect yourself from that. So you've got to know the Bible in order to... They do so to gratify their own lust, but you need to know the Bible so you can glorify God. And if you do not learn the Word of God, you are apt to be led away by their error. And so I will tell you, you learn the Word of God together with God's people. 
You learn the Word of God to prepare yourself, and you learn the Word of God for protection, and you do it by simply spending time in God's Word. You spend time in God's Word. You do so on the Lord's Day and in the midweek service together with God's people in your class and the worship experience. That's why we preach through books of the Bible verse by verse because of this principle right here. And so you just spend time in it. It takes time. What, what did you tell your children? Or, or You know, one of the most horrible things I ever heard teachers say about my brother and sister when we were young was they just don't apply themselves. And uh, not that my parents ever heard that about me uh, once or twice. That's a lie. They heard it often. All they would get it and they would understand it and they'd do better and they would know more if they just applied themselves. So you've got to have the resolve to apply yourself. It's that simple. And, and it is spiritually discerned, so you have to ask God to help you. And folks, there's no way around it. You know... Last time I asked my doctor, uh, look, doc, give me some advice on losing weight. He said, exercise more and eat less. That's what he said 20 years ago, and I've never asked him since because I do not like the answer. <laughs> and I'm just hoping. In, in those terms, I'm a false teacher. You know, I, uh, you know, just anything else but that. But that's the bottom line. That's how it happens. Well, how do you study the Word of God? Well, you just got to resolve to do it. There's no secret formula to it. You just spend time daily in God's Word. But yet what we have done in the Christian church, Brother Stan Gartman, is what we have done is we have, we, we have made it a great, sometimes a burden for people. What we do is we say, okay, you got to read your Bible through in a year. And every publication that we put out has a Bible reading guide for a year. And some people do it to the letter for a year. Most people say, preacher, I had to read it so fast, I just couldn't get it. So who said you have to read it through in a year? I'll tell you who said that. The people that publish those little guides. That's who said you have to read it through in a year. All right? Let me tell you what you do. Get you a systematic way of reading the Scriptures and stick with it all your days. Stick with it all your days. If you read the Bible and you say, I like reading it straight through. I start in Genesis and I go through all the way to Revelation. That's a wonderful way to read the Bible. And if it takes you a year and a half, two years, that's okay. And keep you a little journal and write down questions and write down thoughts and write down what God shows you. And keep that journal. And then when you finish up, you go back again, and you come to those texts of Scripture, and you reference that journal, and maybe some of your questions have been answered. And you apply. You ask God to help you apply what you have read. To help you apply what you have read. This morning in my Bible time, I've been reading through Jeremiah. I'm reading through the Bible all the way through, and I'm in Jeremiah and I read about that wonderful man that I want to meet one day in heaven named Ebed-Melech. Actually, that's not his name. That's a title. He was a servant of the king. That's what Ebed-Melech means. Jeremiah was down there in a hole in the ground in prison, sinking in the mire, 
Ebed-Melech went to the king and he said, Oh, king, Jeremiah's going to die down there unless we get him out. And the king said, Go get some men and go and get him out. I don't want him to die. I don't like him, but I don't want him to die down there. And Ebed-Melech took some ropes and old rags and old clothes, put them, wrapped them around the ropes, put them and, and lowered the rope down and said, Jeremiah, take the old rags and put them under your arm, your armpits, so when I pull you up, you won't have rope burn. Anybody ever uh, have rope burn? Ebed-Melech, if you ever had rope burn, you don't know what I'm talking about, but I want to tell you what, Ebed-Melech did Jeremiah a great favor. And they pulled him out of that miry pit, the prison. And then Jeremiah starts preaching about how God's going to judge everybody and it's going to be... But then when he finishes preaching, he looks at Ebed-Melech and says, Don't you worry. Don't you worry. God is going to give you your life as a prize for you. And you're going to be blessed and encouraged. So I read all that and I said, Lord, how do I apply that? How do I apply that? Well, when we preach through Jeremiah in years to come, I'll tell you how we can apply that. <laughs> but what you do is you ask God to help you apply it. And one day you'll need it because that's how the Word of God works. And so you learn it with God's people. And you share. Let me ask you, do you have anybody that you talk to outside the walls of this building that you fellowship in the Word with. And that's one of the sweetest fellowships is talk, to talk Bible with somebody, another believer, and you learn how they apply the Scriptures. So the first thing is you be on guard, and it's very simple. You be on guard by just learning the Word of God. But the second thing that Peter tells us the last command that Peter gave us from the Holy Spirit was, you must grow. You must grow. It's the second command. Present tense, always on guard, always growing. The two go hand in hand. You do not have one without the other. If you quit and drop your guard, you're going to be led astray, especially in these days. But if you will hold your guard up, stay on the horse, you can grow in grace. And that goes hand in hand with learning the Word of God. It means to increase. It's the result of what Peter told us earlier in this second epistle of adding to your faith. You grow in grace. Now, you grow in grace. That's the first thing. When we think of grace, we think about the moment of our salvation. You remember the moment you were saved, the day you were saved? I was saved on March 1st, 1971. I only know that because years later I read it in the flyleaf of my mother's Bible. But I want to tell you that that's when the grace of God came to me. We sing about it. We sing about it, how fearful we were and how the grace of God made us fear 
because the Holy Spirit was gracious to convict us of our sin. But that same grace pointed us to Him who can forgive us of our sin and save us. And when it comes to saving grace, we have a wonderful acronym. What is saving grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. You ever heard that? The riches of God applied to us at the expense of Christ. Another acronym for saving grace is God's redemption at Christ's expense. That God God was satisfied, His justice was met, the price was paid, and Christ paid it. But this is not saving grace He's talking about. He's talking to saved folks who saved already. He's talking about growing grace. So I would say to you, as we've gone through Peter in all these weeks, a good acronym for growing grace is this, God's resources at Christ's expense. The resources we have in God because of Christ. The resource, God's resources in Christian experience. That's growing grace. You live for Christ, you serve Christ, you be faithful to Christ in such a way that you need His grace. I think about growing in grace, and I cannot help but think these are the last words of Peter. These are his last, some of his last words. I mean, this is it. He's soon going to his own cross at the hand of Nero. And I said, well, let's look at the big three. Let's look at Paul, and let's look at John, and let's look at Peter. The big three New Testament writers. And I go over to 2 Timothy 4 in verse 22 to another man, Paul, who was in the prison. He was in prison. He was in prison in Rome. And he writes his last letter to a young pastor named Timothy. And he gives Timothy advice and wisdom and instruction for being a pastor. You want to know the job description for a pastor? Read 2 Timothy. And then he closes his last words. Paul's final words are this. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. So Paul says we need to go with grace. And then I look at John. John, the apostle who who was the last one uh, to die, the last of the apostles, he's on the island of Patmos, and he receives the vision that we call the book of Revelation, and he portrays all the coming events after the age of the church, and he's, he's telling us of the victory in Christ, and he says in chapter 22, verse 21, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So in light of the second coming and the glory that is soon to be heaped upon our Savior, John says, glow in grace. Glow in it, boys, glow in it. And then Peter, his last words, grow in grace. So when it comes to grace, we Christian folk, until the day we enter heaven, we need to go, glow, and grow in the grace of God. Amen.
That's the last words of the apostolic writers to us. They all spoke about grace. What are your last words going to be about? What are my last words going to be about? Grace. The strength that God gives us by grace. And then we need to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Always learning as we talked about. That's what he says in our text. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is an ever-growing knowledge gained by effort and by experience and just by the grace of God to let you know Himself through His Word. The enduring pursuit of truth, never quitting pursuing Bible knowledge. It seems intimidating because it is intimidating. I'm not going to tell you it's not. I'm not going to tell you it's easy. But we must do it because this is the final command of the Holy Spirit through Peter. All that we need to learn and know about the Lord is found in the pages of Scripture and we need to keep learning. And he tells us two things. He says, first of all, grow in your knowledge of Jesus as Lord. As Lord. Grow in your knowledge of Jesus as our Lord. And how do you do that? How do you grow in your knowledge of Him as Lord? Well, you serve Him. That's how you do it. You serve Him. And you take what spiritual gift He has given you when you were saved, and you apply it to the local church where you go and where you're a member. And you give yourself to it. And you serve Him in that area. If it's teaching, teach. If it's encouraging, encourage. If it's preaching, preach. If it's Serving, serving. If it's helping, helping. And you give it all for the Lord. Because He is the sovereign Lord who gave you that gift and He did so sovereignly by His choice. He gave you that gift. And the more you serve Him in that way, the more you'll understand the Lordship of Christ. See, when we think of the Lordship of Christ, we think in terms of He's given us a bunch of do's and He's given us a bunch of don'ts. Man, I want to tell you what, I, I don't think of the Lord that way. What a privilege it is to serve Him because He's a gracious Lord and the blessings are manifold. And then He says, not only do you increase your knowledge of Him as Lord, but you increase your knowledge of Him as Savior. How do you know more about Him as Savior? Well, by fellowshipping with Him is how you learn and grow in your knowledge of Him as your Savior. By learning the Word and fellowshipping with Him in prayer. That's how you learn about Him as your Savior. You know, um, I have a coin that uh, was given to me a long time ago. And I, uh, when it was given to me, I didn't um, understand its value. And I'm not talking about money. I'm just talking about sentimental value. Sometimes that's worth more than money, wouldn't you agree? But anyway, uh, um, as I grow older and learn more about the history around that coin the more I understand what it meant for that soldier to give me that coin. 
the more I recognize how valuable and meaningful that is. And the more I'm around that person, that individual and people like him, the more I realize what that coin means and just how valuable it is. And that's how it is with our salvation. When we fellowship with Jesus in the Word more and more and more and as time progresses, you will see the value of that salvation. I guarantee you, you will see the value of it more and more the closer you get to death. And the more you go through in this life. And he tells us the false teachers are out there. They are crazy. They are outside the box. They are outside the canon. They have busted through and they're teaching their dreams and their visions. And they're only fulfilling their own lust. He says, you need to be steadfast. Fellowship with me. Be in my word. Learn the truth before you hear the lie. And he says, also you will learn about what I have done for you in Christ Jesus. See, the Gospels tell us what Christ has done. The epistles give us the value of it. It unfolds it for us. And the revelation gives us the consummation of it. And so study the Scriptures and the Savior and you'll learn more. And the result will be what Peter says, to him be glory both now and forever You will give glory to Christ, glory to God in your life, and your final life will be a big, huge amen. If I preach your funeral, I want to stand up here and say amen. I don't want to have to say, oh me. I want to say amen to a good life. Well, Peter wrote these words, and he put that last amen on it. And sometime shortly thereafter, he went just like Jesus said he would go. Someone led him to where he didn't want to go, and that was to a cross. If tradition is accurate, and it may be, if tradition is accurate, they crucified his wife first. And Peter stood at the foot of her cross as she died watching her, and tradition says, he said over and over and over again, remember Christ, remember Christ, remember Christ. And then tradition does say, he looked at his executioners and said, please, I'm not worthy to die like my Lord died. And you know what? They inverted him. He was upside down. That's what tradition says. Well, let me start another tradition. What did he say? Perhaps he said what we heard sung today. When the race is complete, still my lips will repeat. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Maybe that's what he said when he went to the cross. Well, be steadfast, folks. We got to be. You can't quit. Hold on to the horse because there's a lot of stops, sudden stops, a lot of twists and turns these days. I'll tell you what, it's more complicated to apply biblical truth today than it ever has been. It really is. But with the Holy Spirit, we can do it with power. 
and with strength. And God will bless our success. Let's stand for our song of appeal. Well, Father in heaven, we're very grateful for Peter who has blessed us. He has just left us a huge package of instruction and encouragement and enlightenment and help and truth in a big package, Lord, as he has left our home today. And we are finished with his books as far as exposition. May the truths we've learned abide with us and be recalled to our memory as and when we need them for ourselves and to help others. And it's what I pray in Jesus' name. If you have a commitment today to the Lord, maybe you need Christ as your Savior. You need to be saved. Cole and I are up front ready to help you, ready to encourage you, and we'll have somebody will answer your questions and help you with that or any commitment you have to make. You please come as the Lord leads and as we sing this song of appeal. This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.